Well, good morning. I'm so glad that each and every one of you is here today. If you've been with us for a minute, we've spent the last six months in the book of Romans. We've been doing a lot of hard thinking, wrestling with big terms, but it all kind of boils down to how do you live and breathe the gospel? And what's the gospel? It's the good news. It's the good news that Jesus defeated the power of sin and death and rescues all who believe in him and that we, we come to Jesus not through our works, but by grace through faith. And that's the simple truth. And that's a, that's a gospel that isn't just, hey, I pray to, pray to prayer and I'm done. I'll see you in heaven someday in the by and by. But it's a grace that sustains us. It's a grace that draws us nearer to Jesus. And we pivot today and we go from Romans, big thinking, big terms. Now we go to a story, a narrative of the book of Jonah. And what we're going to do as we, as we get into Jonah, we're going to look at a flesh and blood person who is on the run from God. He is on the run from God. And one of the central questions that we're going to be looking at is what does it really mean to respond to God's call in your life? What's it look like? What's it really look like to follow Jesus as a disciple, to, to see him clearly? We learned from Paul in, uh, in Romans 12 that we are not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. So what's it What's it look like to really see Jesus clearly? Who he is, what he taught, what he continues to teach us, and then to be changed by him at the heart level. So my desires actually change. It's not just external behavior modification, but I really want to do, I want to live like Jesus. So it's a head, it's a heart, and then it's a hand. It's a, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to actually live this thing out on mission for him. So that's what it's about to be a disciple, to, to follow, to be changed by, and to be on mission. So that we go out and we've we got like 100,000 people in our community, if you look at the, the stats, who don't have a church home, yet we don't know where they are with Jesus. But we do know that we're called. We're called to reach. So there's a challenge in the book of Jonah that is before us today. But when we look at Jonah, we got to do some, some pre-work. We got to do some pre-work. You got to think about Jonah for just a second. What do you think of when you think of Jonah? If you're new to the Bible, you're going to say, wow, this, first of all, let me just say this. If you're new to the Bible, I'm so glad you're here. I am so glad you're here. If you don't like reading the Bible, I am so glad you're here. If you have trouble understanding the Bible, I am so glad that you are here. We're going to learn together. We've got some opportunities coming up for you to grow in how to, how to read, how to understand, how to process God's Word. We've got some classes coming up in, uh, in August, August 11th, where after we've, we've done Sunday morning on Jonah, you're going to get an opportunity to kind of go deeper and really see how it fits together. We've got a phenomenal team that's going to lead us through that experience. But if you're new to the Bible, I'm glad you're here. If you're old to the Bible, I'm really glad you're here too. 
One of the things we value as a church is we're not all like expert theologians, and we're not all just getting started. We got a nice mix. We got a nice range of folks, and we can learn from one another because I believe there's something about being gathered together around God's Word that really matters. That really matters being together. Now, if you've got some experience with Jonah, maybe you have uh, kind of the kid's version of Jonah. I believe there's a cucumber and a tomato that did some things with, with Jonah, maybe, which is all good. Maybe you've got a children's version of Jonah. And it goes something like, well, you know, Jonah got this call to go to Nineveh. He refused. He, they throw him overboard. He gets swallowed by a whale. He gets spit up. He preaches to the Ninevites. They repent. Everything is glorious. How many of you know that version of Jonah? Some of you have that version of Jonah. That's not the real Jonah. Spoiler alert. It's only four chapters. It's like less than 50 verses. But Jonah's not a real heroic dude. I've spent a lot of time with Jonah in the last couple of weeks. And you know what? I, got conf- I don't really like Jonah. And you know why I really don't like Jonah? When I look at Jonah, I look in the mirror. So I get the privilege of passing on that conviction to you this morning. But when you go to chapter 4 in Jonah... So Jonah gets this call, hey, you know, go preach to the Ninevites, he's going to flee, all this kind of stuff, and then he finally repents, and he goes and he's going to preach. He preaches like a five-word sermon, and like the whole city repents, they change, even the cows repent, the text says. This is an over-the-top book, but even the cows repent. Now, if I preached a sermon like that, and like everybody came to Jesus and was repenting and all that... I would like glide off the stage and feel phenomenal. What is Jonah's response? But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding to love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is our hero, Jonah. It's kind of a rough story. If you just have the kid's version of Jonah, it's time to grow up in that, and we'll understand it. We'll see how it can can apply to us. Now, this is a narrative. This is a story. When we read the Bible, we read a narrative. We read a story a little bit differently then we might read an argument or a letter from Paul. But even though it's different, what we're going to see is that in Jonah, we see the character of God revealed. You just heard that in in Jonah 4. We're going to see how Jonah points to Jesus, and it's not simply a story with a nice moral lesson. Maybe some of you, I kind of grew up this way a little bit, especially with the Old Testament, that I read it and it just gets, all the rough edges get shaved off a little bit. And it can kind of turn into just a nice moral story. 
be nice, don't gossip, don't do those things are all good, but there's something deeper going on here that we want to get to. Now, Jonah, it, at one level, it's history. Okay, I believe, in, and I believe with most of the, the, the scholars that would say, yes, this is a, this actually happened. This actually happened, that Jonah's a real person, uh, this stuff really happened, and some people were like, well, are you kidding me? How could somebody, you know, get swallowed up by a fish and stay there three days and come out alive? It's called a miracle. It's called a miracle. Now, was the creation of the world a miracle? Something from nothing. Uh, this cross over here is kind of a big deal. That represents a miracle, that Jesus died and he actually rose. If those things are true, then I think God could keep somebody alive in the belly of a fish for a few days. Now, it's historical. At the same time, the storyteller is going to mess with you a little bit. This story has been shaped to make you think a little bit. If you're a Saturday Night Live fan, can we say that in church? There's a lot of satire in here. At some level, Jonah's going to be held up and satirized a little bit. He's, it's going to be a rough story for him. But again, that, 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 that camera is going to point back to us here eventually. As I was thinking through Jonah and thinking about how to present it for a few weeks here, one of the questions I asked myself is, why does God communicate to us in stories? Why? Why stories? There's plenty of commandments. There's, there's some do this and don't do this in the Bible. How many of you really appreciate that all the time? Whenever somebody says, do this, stop this, thank you. Thank you for pointing out what I already knew, and I will change immediately. I'll just keep trying harder, and that's... Life generally doesn't work that way. Parents out there, can I get an Amen. Here's the deal, though. Here's what a story does. When I read a story, I get drawn into it because it's indirect. It's the indirect approach. Oh, I'm into the story. It works on my heart a little bit. Oh, oh. So that's the process we're going to go through. It engages our imagination and our emotions. And ultimately, when we read Jonah, we read ourselves. When you and I read Jonah, we read ourselves. Now, we've got to go through a little bit of a process. First, we want to understand. We want to understand, need to read the story, but we need humility. Humility, not pride, humility to be read by the story. And then we need faith to live it out. Let's go. Jonah 1, verse 1. Matt read it. We're going to revisit it. I want to highlight a few things, and then we'll meddle a little bit. So here we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Jonah starts like a lot of the other uh, minor prophets. The word of the Lord came to blank. Here's the word. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, all those folks. 
Jonah's going to respond a little bit differently. But what you need to see that the book of Jonah is actually about Jonah, not so much about what he says. It's unlike any of the other prophets. We're going to hold up Jonah to the light of scrutiny. Jonah's called to go to Nineveh. Now, what's the big deal about Nineveh? Okay, Nineveh is like the capital of the Assyrian Empire. If you really are into history and all that, take the, take the Bible study. You'll dig in a little bit more. I'm just going to give you a few highlights. You know, we're talking about the 8th century B.C., but the Assyrians were brutal folks. Here's what they actually did. They would take, you know, when they were in battles, uh, instead of just killing their enemies, they would skin them alive. They'd cut off heads and you'd have to carry your relative's head around. Or, or my favorite on this, they would cut off your legs and cut off one arm and then shake hands in mockery with you as you died. These are not nice people. Now, Jonah, which literally means dove, all kinds of irony in here, son of Amittai, which means son of faithfulness, you see the story dripping with irony already. Now, of all the people to call to preach to the Ninevites to, rep- uh, to repent, you wouldn't have picked Jonah. Jonah hated him. Jonah was a cultural warrior. He wasn't an ambassador. He was like, they're bad people. Smash him. Kill him. All right, way back there was this evil king, Jeroboam. And Jonah prophesied, or uh, he was in league with Jeroboam. He received this prophecy. Yes, Jeroboam, you're going to extend your territory. You're going to kill the Assyrians. Amos, the prophet Amos would later reverse that. But everybody knew that Jonah was a warrior. Jonah was against the Assyrians. And his identity as someone who would, you know, preach hope and repentance to the Assyrians would have been unfathomable it didn't fit his resume as a prophet that's not what he was about it is not what he was about now let's continue verse three but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish now Tarshish is like uh, So you've got uh, Joppa where he was, you've got Nineveh, which is like 500 miles to the east, Tarshish like 2,500 miles on the sea. It'd be like saying, let's go to Timbuktu. Let's go to the edge of the earth. That's where he's going to go. I'm going to flee. I'm going to go as far away from God as I possibly can. Now, notice the irony here. Prophet? prophet is a mouthpiece of God. Jonah's the only prophet to run. He's the only prophet to refuse. Some will be a little reluctant at times, but Jonah will flee. Now, if you're reading this story, you're you're a Hebrew and you're hearing this story, even as we hear the story and you hear this concept, can you flee from the Lord? Can you run from the Lord? The great theologian Johnny Cash would sing, you can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. There's some half-truths in that theology. Maybe no Johnny Cash fans in here, I'm sorry. Where am I black here? But, uh, but when you think about this, 
can you flee from the Lord? When I hear that, those words, I'm reminded of Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. Can you flee from the Lord? The prophet flees. Jonah knew Psalm 139. He knew that reality. Let's continue. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now, I want you to notice something in the story, and this is why we're rereading it. I want you to hold up the behavior of Jonah and the behavior of the sailors. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain said to him, or went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. That sound like a pretty reasonable thing to do? Yes. What you see in Jonah is the good guys are bad and the bad guys are good. It's flipped. It's flipped. It's irony. It's going to get us to think a little bit. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Then the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. I think in the old Veggie Tale version, they played some card game and they came up Jonah. This is not a kid's story, though. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Very reasonable questions. He answered, I am a Hebrew. I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, you got to picture this. Jonah, the prophet, dove, son of faithfulness, running from God as far as he can. I worship the Lord who made the heaven and, and the sea. What's it mean to worship, to, to, to give all worth to? He is running. Notice the disconnect between Jonah's words and his actions. We'll hold the mirror up here in a minute, but you can see we got problems ahead. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. This just cracks me up. Did Jonah get on the ship 
What's your occupation? I am a prophet. I am running from the Lord. Business or pleasure? I love that detail. I think we're supposed to to find something a little bit humorous in this. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. At one level, yes, is Jonah taking responsibility for this? Yeah, kind of. But we know in chapter 4, he's going to say, I would rather die. I would rather die than see these people repent. Not a flattering portrayal. Verse 13, instead, notice the men on the ship, the sailors, the men did their best to row back to land. Even then, they're trying to save him. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. If we're doing an evaluation of Jonah and the sailors on any kind of moral faith scale, who's ahead? The sailors. Jonah, not so much. But the Lord's going to intervene. Verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish Three days and three nights. He was in the belly of a fish. Now, when you're in the belly of a fish, that's not a good place to be. We'll come back to that here in a second. We're left with Jonah in the belly of the fish. Now, let's let the story read us for a minute. Let's let the story read us for a minute. To do this, we need some humility. So try to say, Holy Spirit, right now, take away my pride, open me up. A couple ways I believe that Jonah can read us and help us see our pride. First of all, my refusal. My refusal. My failure to trust and obey in God's power and his character. When I run from God, not for God. My refusal. What, is, what does that look like? What's, what's that look like? Again, let, the, let, let your guard down for a minute. Allow the Holy Spirit to say, okay, where am I running? God, where am I running from you? That could take the form of saying, you know what? God, I am going to refuse to be obedient. I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't know what that is for you. I got my own stuff. I'm just not going to share it today. God knows. You can't flee from him. He knows. 
He knows. What, what is that? Where are you saying to God, I know this is right, but I'm not going to do this. I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. In our journey as disciples, that's part of the, part of the deal. Maybe there's some things you need to stop doing, but maybe there's some things you need to start doing. If I'm going to live as a disciple, if I'm going to live as a follower of Jesus, I need to have my mind transformed. I need it renewed. So I've got to be in his word. If I want to see Jesus clearly, I've, I need to be in his word. To be in his word, I've got to carve out some time got to carve out some time and I know that's really hard carving out time for a lot of us is really really hard because we can't always see the investment we can't always see the benefit it's just hard but you walk into a church service and the preacher says hey read your bible more that's not a revelation but it may be for you today to simply say hey I got to carve out some time to get into God's word. If you've got questions about how to get started in that, come see me. I had somebody after first service say, hey, Jason, I don't know what to do in the Bible. Just help me out. It's okay, we'll get together. I can't give you everything in two minutes here, but I can get you started. Maybe for some of you, I need to, I need to start the habit of praying a little bit more. And maybe praying a little bit differently. And I'll give you a tool for that at the end of the service. And maybe for others, it's like, I, one of the things about Jonah in the whale, or in the fish, you know, cartoons, it's a whale, it's a big fish. When you're in the belly of a fish, it's dark. It's really enclosed, and you're isolated. You're alone. You're alone. So some of you, maybe you got to carve out some time and, and some, take some chance to say, I need to connect with somebody. I can't, I can't do this on my, my own anymore. So my refusal. The next is my retreat. My retreat. I think it's so telling where you see all the sailors working hard and where's Jonah? He's asleep. We can be in a spiritual slumber sometimes just to sleep. We can be indifferent. We can have apathy towards what God's called us to do. You know, maybe you got friends, you got people in your community like, oh, that, I know they don't know Jesus, I, but I don't know what to do, and I, I'm just, just going to ignore it. I'm just going to go to sleep. <laughs> and sometimes it's not like sleep, sleep, but it's like this. Uh, you ever drive a car for like a long time and then you get to where you're going and you're like I don't even remember the journey the other day like you know we don't have an ice maker went out we replaced it like three times and then I said I'm done then we got tired of the cubes now we're like we'll go buy ice at the gas station sometimes so I go to the gas station buy a big thing of ice it's like five minutes away I come back I just walk in the house leave the ice in the van it's like 90 degrees out it didn't work out so well. But, but how do you go from five? Because I'm asleep. I'm not paying attention. I'm just going through the motions. 
Sometimes we can be that way spiritually. Just kind of day after day after day. So this morning, God may be saying, where do you need to wake up? What do you need to wake up? Now, the last one, my reputation and my resume. Part of why Jonah refuses his mission, he says, I am a Hebrew, and as a Hebrew, I'm going to kill those Assyrians. I don't want a reputation that says I'm soft on those Assyrians. I don't want to be known as the prophet who caved in to the evil empire. That's not what I'm about. I don't want that on my resume. So when you think about your reputation, that's what others think of you. That's your reputation. Your resume is kind of what you think of yourself and what you're presenting to others. There can be a lot of pride tied up in our reputation and our resume. Maybe for you, there's times when you're hampered in your mission, you're hampered in your calling because you're like, I don't know what so-and-so is going to think about me. I'm a little concerned about what others might think. I don't want to be perceived that way. Or maybe the other way, you know, I, I got it all together. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to admit that I need some help. It can take a lot of different forms. I would challenge you this morning, though, to think about those categories. Think about your refusal. Think about your retreat. Think about your resume and your reputation. Now, we end the story of Jonah in a bad, stinky place. The belly of a fish, alone, isolated, and you may feel convicted this morning. You may feel like, oh, wow, I don't, I don't, I don't measure up. I'm, yeah, I, I, I am those things. I am Jonah. If that's you this morning, know that you're not alone. But Jonah 1 leaves us in the belly of the fish. But the good news is that's not where we're going to end it today. Jesus himself will talk about Jonah. And he says this, Matthew 12. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. We're going to prepare our hearts and our minds 
for communion. Before we do that, though, I want you to... I invite you to just close your eyes and bow your head for a minute. I want you to... I want you to remember... When we receive communion together, what what are we remembering? We're remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. We're remembering that we're not stuck in our isolation and our pain and our earning and all those things that we may do. We're not stuck there. So before we receive, I would simply invite you to say, Holy Spirit, show me, show me where you need to work. Show me. And then as we examine our hearts, we're reminded that on the night Jesus was betrayed, He gathered his disciples in the upper room and he he took out the bread and he, he broke it and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. He said, this is my body. This is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. So may we receive the bread together. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He took the cup. He said, this is is my blood, blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of sins, blood of the new covenant. Take drink, do this in remembrance of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, as we continue to reflect I would ask that whatever barriers to your spirit working in this place right now would be removed that you would take away that pride that says I can leave today without taking a step closer to you Father, we thank you for sending us your son to die for us. We thank you that Jesus rose, that it's true. We're thankful for the life that you offer. And now, Father, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would just continue to lead and guide each one of us. And remind us who we are. Remind us that we are your children. And as your children, we know that you are for us. And if you are for us, who can be against? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.